The Green Front with Betsy Rosenberg, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on the Progressive Radio Network. If we come together, talk, and listen, listening is key, and reading the facts, also a key, and we're making some progress. I am thrilled to have Joseph Rome, uh, Uber climate um, blogger, and uh, he's on the show to talk about all these developments, so many I can barely keep up, um, many of them very positive, and that's a result of all the um, negative uh, developments, and that would be negative as in the weather, as in the extreme uh, events we're seeing in the Southland still, the rivers are rising, and we're seeing flooding in Mississippi and Alabama, that in the wake of the tornadoes that uh, killed so many uh, people and destroyed livelihoods, and we're also seeing uh, some scientific reports that are coming out and just making it a little bit more difficult to be a climate change deniosaur. So we're going to find out more about that as well as a fabulous cartoon uh, also in the Washington Post. The Washington Post is the one that uh, uh, ran the editorial that uh, said that it is becoming harder to uh, deny science. And so, so much to talk about. I don't want to waste any more time. I'm going to introduce Joe Rome in just a moment, but want to also urge you to stay tuned for our second half. I'll be interviewing uh, Wendy Benchley. She, of course, is the wife of uh, Peter Benchley, the author of Jaws that uh, scared so many people out of the water. But Peter Benchley, on the serious side, was a great environmentalist and ocean conservationist. And they're uh, going to be having the fourth annual Peter Benchley Ocean Awards in Washington, D.C. this weekend. So I'll be thrilled to have Wendy joining me to talk about the state of our oceans and who will be honored at that event. I was thrilled to be at the one in San Francisco last year. But right now, I'm very excited to welcome Joseph Rome to the Green Front because he is the most prolific and uh, accurate and uh, amazing climate blogger out there. I'm a big fan. Thanks uh, for joining me, Joe. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, lots to talk about. First, uh, this uh, story actually appeared, I think, in USA Today, uh, first uh, talking about um, the, the research being undeniable now, uh, also the Washington Post uh, with their editorial Tell us how significant um, those two um, articles were for such mainstream publications. Well, you know, the, the, the U.S. National Academy of Sciences uh, came out with a report um, uh, on climate, which is kind of their, their summary of all of their review of the scientific literature and their analysis. And, you know, needless to say, uh, it, it concluded that uh, we need to substantially reduce greenhouse gas emissions starting as soon as possible. Um, I mean, I would say it goes without saying that they reaffirmed <laughs> that think. the climate is changing and, and humans are, are, are you know, very likely causing most of it, and it's going to get a lot worse if we don't do anything. But it's, it's uh, nothing new from a scientific point of view. It continues to be ignored by the right wing, and it was very nice to see that the Washington Post uh, uh, ran a story basically saying that um, 
you know, this this is now, you know, uh, it, it's just untenable to keep denying climate science. And, in fact, USA Today ran an editorial saying the climate science deniers were like birthers. So um, I, I hope that, at least from the perspective of, of the mainstream media, that, 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 you know, this will end the chapter that began with the, you know, stolen emails, uh, which the right wing and the disinformation campaign spun up as some sort of attack on the credibility of climate science. Uh, and now we, we can see that the science is, is what everyone has said all along. It is serious and solid and, and getting more worrisome. And likening them to birthers is very interesting, also a reference to likening them to truthers, those who believe that 9-11 was a government conspiracy. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it yet, the clip um, that I um, think I sent you. I was on Hannity three weeks ago. Uh, once again, uh, they wanted to attack Van Jones, uh, calling him yeah. a communist, and the fact that I knew him must mean I'm a communist. Uh, I went on because um, I thought we were going to talk about you know, the fact that uh, they're uh, – they're all um, encouraged by opinion polls showing that, you know, fewer Americans and people around the world were concerned about climate. And I was all prepared to say, well, they must be watching your show too much. And, you know, how dare you spread this disinformation so successfully? But, of course, they didn't uh, go there. They went to the communist angle and then uh, went off on a tangent there. And uh, in the um, response, Chris Horner, the only show that they can trot out to uh, debate, at least when I'm on there, if you call it debate, uh, don't know what they do the, the, the times that they're talking about climate and I'm not on because I don't watch that show unless when I happen to be on. And I don't know if you if you heard or saw, but Chris Horner called we who believe in climate change earthers. And I thought, hmm, this could be a scoop here. Maybe that's the, the latest uh, campaign. They're calling us earthers. And I would say to that, uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, we're for the earth. And you, you're not? Please, you're well, the door. Well, they're earthers. You'd be the first so. to leave. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, of course, I mean, I, the thing that's, you know, so so I just will say pathetic about that is that we are Earthers in the sense that everyone else on Earth doesn't have this anti-scientific uh, uh, stranglehold around a political party. I mean, I just posted on Climate Progress that that the the conservatives in Great Britain came forward with their plan to cut greenhouse gas emissions 50 percent by. Uh, 2025 compared to 1990 levels. So even the conservatives in Great Britain uh, understand that this is an urgent problem, and they're prepared to act even though the richest country in the world isn't. And that tells you how serious the problem must be. And and one of the uh, residents of Great Britain, of course, is uh, James Murdoch, the son of Rupert Murdoch. And isn't it interesting? Uh, that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. I wanted to ask them, you know, didn't they read the memo, you know, a few years ago when Rupert Murdoch announced his uh, global energy initiative? Uh, and, and that was based on apparently conversations with his own son, who does believe climate change is real, uh, saying we should give the you know planet the benefit of the doubt, and how duplicitous it is that on the one hand, you know, News Corporation, which owns Fox. Uh, has gone carbon neutral, I think becoming the first broadcast company to do so, while at the same time their you know, biggest um, mouthpieces, Sean Hannity to begin with, is uh, doing active damage you know, against the cause of responding to climate change disaster. Yeah, no, Murdoch was def has definitely been trying to have it both ways. They, they definitely have you know, greened up things. I, I think I did a post a couple of years ago on on the show 24 and and we had you know carbon free torture on 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 Jack Jack Bauer and 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 their hit shows um but like you said they 
actively spread disinformation and and they're the Fox News, you know, executive producer made clear that they were not going to allow any scientist to simply state the science without immediately challenging it. So, um, yeah, I mean, they've, they've obviously done a great deal of harm. And, and, and it's really sinister because what they're trying to do, it's all about the bottom line, is apparently, uh, according to the analyses I read, probably on your blog site, uh, they're trying to you know, appeal to their green-leaning advertisers, who, by the way, should not be spending a dime on News Corporation and Fox News, in my opinion. They should be supporting a show that you and I would co-host. Maybe we'll work on that. Um, but they're you know, trying to appeal to them by saying, look, behind the scenes, we're carbon neutral, so who cares what our you know, um, show uh, anchors are saying. But if you really go back and uh, look at the quote from Rupert Murdoch. He was talking about how his their their large audience could have such an impact if they wanted to on uh, the, the carbon footprint of their own and, and the climate. So, you know, you can't have it both ways. That's the bottom line. And I think we need to raise the volume and step up the pressure on how you know hypocritical it is and downright dangerous. No, absolutely. And 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 um, you know, the fact of the matter is is that the way the U.S. political system operates, it. it a, a minority has a stranglehold and, and can block action, and, and, and this, this wholesale denial uh, by the conservative movement uh, and, and now forcing every political candidate to, to you know, uh, deny basic science as, as a litmus test for being a presidential candidate is, is quite astonishing. But isn't the tide turning, if nothing else, Mother Nature is shouting, you know, from the bleachers, from the sidelines, from the the wings, you know, uh, cannot ignore, cannot ignore, you know, wake up people. They're on the wrong side, and it's just a matter of hopefully, you know, short-term time, not long-term, that this becomes, you know, very, very apparent. And and I think we're at that moment, it's just a little bit of a lag time, perhaps. Yeah, well, I mean, I find that most people I talk to and uh, understand that the weather is 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 become much more extreme than it used to be, and and wherever you go in this country, and I was driving on I seventy, and the person I was with mentioned the bark beetle infestation there. Um, yes, we're seeing the most extreme weather um, compounded events. I mean, you know, the the second uh, once in a two hundred year flood of the Mississippi in, in, in 15 years. Um, we're seeing, you know, simultaneously with this devastating flood and unbelievable rainfall in Mississippi, we have seen um, this devastating, you know, worst three-month period in Texas in terms of drought, leading to the worst wildfire season uh, to date. So, you know, uh, it's just going to get worse. Uh, it's very likely that next year will be the hottest year on record, um, and we'll see more extreme weather. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't. At, at some point, uh, it's going to become painfully obvious, even to the most ardent denier. And I'm sure it did not escape your notice, because you, like me, see the world through green lenses, and especially on climate change. The irony: there's so many of Governor Rick Perry going on Earth Day to President Obama, asking for emergency declaration, demanding it for the drought and fires, um, you know, burning up his state of Texas while he's been one of the most vocal opponents of any action on climate change, and I hear he's even considering a bid for president. Well, yes, and he even, I think, issued a proclamation that they should pray for rain. Uh, That's right. <laughs> which, which led one of my readers to suggest a bumper sticker that said, pray for science. 
That's right. And and that also reminded me, sadly, of um, President Obama's strange comments, you know, last summer in the wake of the BP oil, BP oil spill, when he gave that um, address uh, talking about the need to make a wholesale shift in our energy uh, resources and, and supplies and saying that we needed to pray and that we were all encouraged briefly when he started to talk about, you know, the reasons why we need to make the shift. Uh, but then he didn't lay out any blueprint or green print or tell us how to do it. Um, his solution, it seemed, uh, was to pray. And we know he knows that's not going to do it, and he knows we need to do a lot more, and hopefully we're going to see that in the next year or two. But um, that was discouraging. But that's all we can yes, do. And Obama, I, think. I mean, Obama has been very frustrating because he's been he's been willing to buy into the GOP rhetoric of, of more drilling, and even though he knows it's, it will have no impact whatsoever on prices. And every time I read an article about, you know, Americans are up in arms about, you know, the price they're paying at the pump and therefore we need to do more drilling, it's just uh, remarkable how that's such a knee-jerk response, like that's the only solution there could possibly be. Not that we should conserve, not that we should make begin to turn the ship around and scale up renewable energy supplies. It's, it's so darn predictable, isn't it? The Republican response. Well, they, you know, it's, so their strategy to... is oil above all, and you know they they claim that they support you know an all of the above strategy. But the fact is, their answer to to all economic problems uh, is uh, cut taxes, cut spending, and their uh, uh, except of course spending to subsidize oil companies. And as you know, they <laughs> unanimously uh, have been supporting. These these massive subsidies, four billion dollars a year, uh, in in direct tax uh, subsidies, even though oil prices are at, at have been at near record levels. Uh, but yes, their answer to everything is drill more, and it's just, you know, it is it is patently absurd. Uh, you know, the Energy Information Administration has said that we could open up everything to drilling, and it would have no impact on prices even ten years from now. And yet, that's their only response. And yeah. uh, it's, it's just so it's so sad that it's still so predictable and so uh, delusional, really, for lack of a better term. Uh, you also had a mention of uh, cartoonist Tom Tolles, is it? Is that how it pronounces his last name? Yeah, I think it's Tolles. <laughs> for whom the bridge tolls, he's brilliant. And I had not been aware of him, not being a regular reader of the Washington Post. But um, people should check out his cartoons, which there's a link to on uh, your blog, I believe it's today. It's brilliant. Uh, there's a cartoon, if I can describe it, paint a picture here. With words, uh, the, the box says like, there's toxic uh, cloud coming out of a coal-fired power plant. It says climate change, and then it shows uh, two people in Washington saying also not hiding in a cave. Meaning, you know, yeah, he has had some CO2. of the best. Uh, he has had some of the best cartoons uh, on this, and um, you know he's just been very, very good on this. And then he writes blog posts, which he started doing about a year ago. And you know he just he said, well, he got a million emails complaining about that uh, cartoon. To um, be more fair to Republicans. Be more fair to Republicans, and he said, you know, um, uh, you know. They have turned their faces away from climate change in a way that is simply and utterly unforgivable, and they right. do feel entitled to their own facts. And it's just, it's just a very nice to see someone being that blunt. Absolutely, in such a you know mainstream publication. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist. He is, he is one of the best cartoonists uh, in town. Wonderful. Well, lots to talk about, so let me just skip on to uh, the announcement by Lowe's 
the home improvement uh, store and chain and Sungevity. Um, this development, making it much more accessible, solar panels to Lowe's customers uh, and the way that they're doing that, I think is a, an encouraging sign and what we need to see more of quickly. Yeah, I think that, that we're now seeing the the... I won't say, you know, they're not turning into commodities, but, but we're finally seeing um, major renewable energy, uh, uh, major companies getting into renewable energy. So we, we have seen very large companies uh, start partnering with renewable and other companies. So, yes, Lowe's, Sungevity is, is a company that came up with a very clever idea, which is that, you know, it's expensive to send someone out to your house on speculation to find out whether a, a photovoltaic panel would fit or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you if you do that, it just runs up your cost so much if, if if a certain fraction of people say no. So they actually arranged this. You can use Google Earth. To, they they use Google Earth to spec out your home. Um, so basically, oh, yeah. you send them. Uh, you call them and say, I'd like to see whether photovoltaics would work for my home, and they will, uh, and they, you can tell, you, you, they, you tell them a little about your electric rates, and then they will, rather than visiting your home, they'll use Google Earth and they will figure out if you're, you know, what the system would look like, what size, what cost, and how much it would save you. And indeed, in, in three states, they're making deals where they will lower the, the, uh, the new electric bill Plus the leasing of the solar panels, you don't actually buy them, will be lower than your electric bill. And now they've partnered up with Lowe's, and I think you're going to see, you know, in, in, in increasingly as the cost of solar has just been coming down steadily for three decades now. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, 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 I think, one more example. People this decade are going to see just an explosion of of uh, photovoltaics and other clean energy technologies. This is this is the decade where they're really going to take off. And I have not been following the price too closely since we put three and a half kilowatts of solar panels on our home uh, about probably seven eight years ago. I think it was about ten thousand dollars after the rebates. I might have gotten a slight deal because of what I do for a living, which is promote <laughs> renewable energy. Uh, what any idea what that would cost today? Well, those. I mean, you're you're in California. Yes. Yeah, well, California has the best. I think you've got about a 50% subsidy. So, you know, in the state of California, I, I, I think the cost is probably down by more than a third. Um, it, 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 it does depend on a lot of different factors. It's different for different utilities. But uh, in, I think they're operating in California and Arizona. Uh, and um, one other state, and let me see. It's it's, uh, uh, and I, I think you know. I know that they are going to be rolling this out uh, in in more states. You talking about um, longevity? Longevity, yeah. Um, yeah. But obviously, California has you know some of the best. They um, operate. It actually says here in the press release eight states: Arizona, California, as you said, but also Colorado, Delaware, Maryland, Massachusetts. New Jersey and New York. Oh well, well that's great. They're expanding and they're operating. They operate. I, uh, you know, I think they'll expand more into the states A that have good sun or that have good, you know, subsidies. But, you know, as as Energy Secretary Stephen Chu said, um, the cost of solar is 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 uh, by the end of this decade, 
is going to be competitive with fossil fuels without subsidies. So, you know, and I am not one who thinks that, that we're going to have to subsidize things forever. That, that would not, you know, if, if you had to subsidize something forever, it, it, it wouldn't be viable. Um, I don't think we should keep subsidizing like nuclear power, which has a 20% market share. Or oil. But, you know, as, as, or oil, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, the good news is that solar and wind, uh, uh, these are technologies that are starting to make market penetration. And they're going to be, the, you know, the, the industries and the jobs of the future. I mean, it's obvious that ultimately we're going to run the entire country on carbon-free electricity uh, and carbon-free power. And it's just a matter of whether we're going to compete with, frankly, both Germany and China have surpassed us. And, and it's kind of sad because we invented the modern solar cell. It was, it was Bell Labs uh, a little over half a century ago, and it's just a shame that we have not had the policies in place to support a manufacturing base, uh, although that's true of a lot of other industries besides solar. And do you, what do you think um, the chances that oil subsidies will be cut? I mean, President Obama is for that. A lot of people who are, you know, um, blessed with common sense are for that, and yet the political situation right now in D.C. is such that it, it may not happen. Um, what do you think? It's a very good question. I mean, uh, the the... You know, for those who don't know how things operate in Washington, the the few the people who sort of tell the Republicans what to do have decided, and I'm speaking specifically of Grover Norquist, have decided that a cut in eliminating subsidies for the most profitable industry on in the world is a tax increase, and therefore any Republican who votes for it will be voting for a tax increase, and therefore they'll be blackballed. So. You know, it's, this is the game of hardball, the way things are played in Washington, D.C. Um, that said, they, you know, the Republicans are also being driven by this Tea Party mania that, that, that you have to cut the deficit, you know, harshly in, in a time of, of recession uh, or, or, you know, slow economic growth. So that tension means that there are going to be some interesting votes this year. Uh, when when the decision is made on, for instance, raising the debt ceiling, or on the 2012 budget, um, yeah. and so I, I think the jury is out on exactly how that's going to play out. As you say, um, you know, in one of your blogs uh, today, oil-fueled oil chamber attacks punitive cuts to big oil, instead demands punitive cuts for working families and the elderly. Uh, this stuff would be funny if it wasn't all for real. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, you know, I, I think, obviously, until people, uh, you know, vote their pocketbook and vote, you know, their their interest in clean air and clean water and a livable climate, then then the big oil interest will continue to get their way. I, I think the good news is that, you know, we saw with the Prop uh, 23 uh, debate in California that, uh, there is strong public support for clean energy and and to fight back against the big oil companies, but it it has to be a you know a big campaign, uh, you know, uh, with 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 a very coherent effort to beat back uh, the fossil fuel industry. There's also a great post um, by Bill Becker, executive director with the Presidential Climate Action Project, says uh, vote climate courage in 2012. And that is so key, and that just tells me maybe we do still need a Green Tea Party to make climate a wedge issue in, in the election, because so far we're not heading in that direction. Yeah, it's, it's you know, we're, we're, 
I'm torn, you know, uh, on that. I, I, uh, because, you know, we also saw what happened with Ralph Nader in, uh, in the 2000 election. So I, I'm, I think, you know, that, that, uh, President Obama has surrounded himself with good people, but he's also surrounded himself with some very cynical political calculators. And they unfortunately have won the day in the short term. Um, I think, uh, you know, that uh, whoever the Republicans put up is probably going to be a climate denier and, and that this will be, you know, a major issue and they're going to go after the president. So, you know, hopefully the president will stand up and, and defend his, uh, you know, defend climate and clean energy. Um, but, you know, uh, we need, you know, as James Hansen said, we really need a Winston Churchill on this subject, and that we have not seen yet. Produced. And by the way, the, the Green Tea Party that I'm talking of and steeping on, contemplating, discussing with people, would not be, you know, in any way another political party who needs to start that. Really, just a, a voice for reminding people that we cannot afford to, you know, not factor green issues, specifically climate change, into um, the next election, and that we right. must vote for greenest candidates in either red or blue party, and and that's all it would do is is say you know use this as a wedge issue. This is the one we cannot afford to procrastinate on any longer. And and ask yourself you know is your candidate you know getting these issues and proposing solutions to dying oceans and uh, extreme weather and climate change unchecked, or are they you know they have their head in the sands? And if nothing else, it might just take a few un decided voters and, and give them something else to think about as they go into the voting booth. But it takes money to start anything, and I'm still working on that, so I can't do anything else for free. But talking about it, because I, I still think that it's not where it should be, and I know you agree in terms of American consciousness. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, we need uh, single-issue voters. You, if, you, if you want to have the power of the NRA or AARP, uh, it has to be. It's. It's. It is really the ability of those organizations not to do what the environmental community has done, which is create broad support for a feel-good agenda, which which is important. Mm -hmm. But but fundamentally, if if in Washington D.C., if if people don't believe that opposing you is going to have some cost, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to stick their neck out for you. Well, which really gets to the point of there not still being enough muscle behind the movement to take, you know, strong and decisive and immediate action to combat climate change. Yeah. That's why we saw legislation dropped in the Senate, and that's why we didn't see enough action, you know, just on the worldwide stage uh, in Copenhagen, uh, a little bit more in Cancun. Uh, so how do we build that muscle is the question, and maybe Mother Nature is supplying the answer. Maybe if we sit back and do nothing, which, of course, people like you and I and millions of others concerned Americans, or at least tens of thousands um, cannot do, uh, knowing what we know, that uh, it'll be just undeniable, and the deniers will, you know, be cowering in their caves soon, but not soon enough. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, just a couple more minutes, Joe. Always great to talk to you. Um, what else is on your mind standing out in the last a couple of weeks since we last spoke, since the tornadoes hit, since, since the uh, floods, uh, as they continue to threaten uh, so many states? I mean, it's amazing when I see... <laughs> The, the television news, the pictures, and then the comments from people who have just lost their homes or lost family members saying, we've never seen anything like this. This is, you know, record-breaking, devastating. And I think, you know, and, and let's just say, let's just say that storm, those tornadoes, that flooding, those droughts could be proven to be a result of, you know, climate change-infused, you know, intensity of these storms uh, and these weather patterns. 
would would those who would be so quick to deny it, you know, have second thoughts? Would the perhaps people who were killed in those floods and tornadoes didn't be, quote believe in climate change, and yet look what it cost them? And no, we can't prove it, but certainly the pattern of more extreme weather, more unstable weather, is what climate scientists, 98 percent of them, have been predicting. Well, let me uh, try to you know put it this way simply. I think that there's no question that climate scientists predicted that uh, the more you heat up the planet, uh, the more ex- uh, of a certain kind of extreme events you're going to see. Obviously, uh, stronger heat waves, more intense heat waves, and that's going to make droughts and wildfires worse, particularly in dry areas. The other thing the heat does is it uh, puts more water vapor in the atmosphere, and that gets swept into the storms, and, and what goes up must come down, and it comes down as more intense deluges, and, and we are indeed seeing that. And so we are, we are loading the dice, as it were, of weather to make the weather events more extreme, and we're indeed we're painting higher numbers, so we're uh, on the dice uh, uh, so that we're getting worse events. You know, I've written a lot about tornadoes. Uh, the, 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 the science of, of the connection between climate change and tornadoes is, is still at its initial phases. Um, I think that, that you know, I, certainly there are experts who think that uh, warming uh, can contribute to creating the conditions for the kind of, you know, record-breaking tornadoes that we had. We had to set the record in April for the most tornadoes in any month, and we also set the record for the most tornadoes in a 24-hour period. Um, but um, I would say that the, you know, the, the proven link uh, to tornadoes is, is nowhere near as strong as it is to uh, heat waves and deluges and floods and droughts and wildfires. And, well, that's so funny. <laughs> and that's plenty. And, and, and you know, um, uh, the, the th- other thing I say is the United States, the, the, the planet has only warmed up about a degree Fahrenheit in the past 50 years. Um, we could warm 10 times that this century if we don't get our act together and reduce emissions. So if people think that the weather of the last uh, a couple of years has been extreme, that's going to be normal weather uh, in two or three decades. And, uh, and, and it'll be relatively mild compared to what our children and grandchildren are going to take uh, uh, year after year. So we keep hearing, but apparently some people still have, um, you know, hands firmly implanted over their ears and their yes. eyes. And just to wrap up again, I want to just uh, spend the last couple of minutes talking about this uh, report that, by the way, the Congress had requested from the National Academy of Sciences. Yep. How important do you think the results of this will be, given that it came from you know, the very place where we're seeing stubbornness. Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, it's hard to know what is going to budge the the Republicans in Congress. But, you know, I do think that a report like this, it obviously has an impact on on how the media looks at things. Because, I mean, those who know the National Academy know that it is it is a pretty conservative organization in the sense that it doesn't make bold statements. And Scientists it, it usually is, are, traditionally. Well, yeah, well, they're very cautious. They, they, they really hardly, uh, uh, they're not alarmist people. When, when you find scientists who are worried in unison about something, you really should be worried about it because it takes a lot uh, 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 to get a scientist really alarmed. And so 
Oh, but, but wait, aren't aren't they a greedy bunch, just like nonprofit environmental organizations? Aren't they really just trying to get grant funds kind of I their know. way? I give the right wing credit for the the most successful uh, inane lie ever, <laughs> which is that scientists have 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 gone into this field because they want to make money. Um, Ironic, I mean, especially when you look at where the opposition information is coming from. Well, indeed, I mean, it comes, it's people who, who are are making you know considerably more than scientists, and anyone who knows a scientist knows that they they, they did not go into science to make money. And if if they had wanted to use their brain power to make money, I think they you know they would have picked finance or law or medicine. So uh, you know, people go into science because they they want to understand the world they uh want to be able to explain things and 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 you know uh, they they want to help make the world a better place and, and uh, the thousands of americans who um you know those of us who bring ourselves to the mecca of nashville tennessee to get trained by al gore every few years you look around that you know huge room and uh those are not the the well-heeled wealthy types those are people who are passionate about raising awareness in America about climate change and you know they're the very ones that supposedly are you know padding the evidence you know nonprofit activists to you know try to get grant money it's 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 ridiculous uh, it's insane again again especially when you weigh that against you know the fact that the fossil fuel industry is funding all the uh, dinosaur information and inspiration no absolutely and and i think that that um you know the media, uh, I think, understands uh, uh, that the National Academy is a pretty cautious group. It's really kind of the Supreme Court of Science, and uh, the literature, the scientific literature, the observations, you know, could not be clearer that, that humans uh, are changing the climate. And, and, and far more important, even to what we're seeing today, is what happens if we keep doing nothing. Then... then you know, uh, uh, the future becomes, uh, I, I think, quite clear. So, um, you know, the fact that the report said that we need to start reducing greenhouse gas emissions as soon as possible, uh, uh, I think, is just, you know, evidence of how how dire the situation is. Okay, well, I'm going to use it as evidence that we need at least one green talk show in this country, and maybe you can uh, be my co-host, Joe. I think it's time. All righty. Love <laughs> Joseph Rome, uh, if you have not checked out his uh, climate blog, you cannot miss it, climateprogress.org. He is so prolific. He even puts one out on the weekends, at least one. And uh, he's also with the Center for American Progress and uh, was with the Clinton administration and has written a couple of books, uh, most recently straight up, before that come hell and high water. And I think there was a first one, wasn't there? There have been a few others. <laughs> a few others. I don't have them all. Send, send them uh, my way, Joe, and I'll be able to get all the names right next time. Thanks so much for all your great work, and we'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. And one of the impacts, of course, of climate change is ocean acidification, and we're going to be talking about that and other challenges to our um, critical oceans uh, with Wendy Benchley right after this quick break. You're listening to The Green Front. I'm your host, Betsy Rosenberg. Don't go away. 